1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Or Clairol, please welcome Linda Evangelista.
2: You may not know who Linda Evangelista is by name, but you definitely will have seen a picture of her. The supermodel was an icon of 90s fashion. But last week, she hit the headlines for another reason. She said on social media earlier, It has sent me into a cycle of deep depression, profound sadness and the lowest depths of self-loathing. I'm so tired of living this way. The star who once graced premieres with her presence now a recluse because of the operations effects. In an Instagram post, the supermodel claimed to have been, quote, permanently deformed, following a fat freezing procedure known as cool sculpting. Last week, The Guardian also reported on a study from June revealing that one in six people who have Botox suffer from complications. So, how do these cosmetic treatments work? And what are the risks? I'm Madeleine Finlay, and from The Guardian, this is Science Weekly. To find out more about the potential pitfalls of our search for eternal youth and beauty, I turned to Nora Nugent, a consultant plastic surgeon. Nora, in a post last week on Instagram, Linda Evangelista described undergoing a procedure called cool sculpting a few years ago, Which hadn't gone the way that she had hoped it would. So what is cool sculpting?
0: Cool sculpting is a relatively new way of fat reduction that's non-surgical. So it's based on the principle that if you cool fat cells to a low enough point, they can essentially self-destroy and your body will gradually metabolize and absorb them and by doing so will reduce the fat in the particular area that's being treated. And Cool sculpting is where this is harnessed into a machine or device that will do it in a clinic based treatment that's non invasive and non
2: surgical. I mean, it is actually quite incredible that you can basically freeze away any of the fat from the outside without harming the skin or any of the surrounding tissue. And I should just say that cool sculpting is just a brand name for the wider method, which is known as cryolipolysis. But this particular method isn't completely safe. And as Linda Evangelista has claimed, she's now suffering from something called paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. What's this?
0: That, I have to say, is a very unfortunate complication that she has suffered. I don't know any particulars about her case, but this is a known complication of cryolipolysis or fat freezing, albeit a relatively rare complication. It's where the fat cells, instead of shrinking or being destroyed by freezing paradoxically actually enlarge, but not necessarily in a very natural way. And depending on the location you've had fat freezing, it can be very obvious or it can be something you can hide in clothing. But obviously for someone in the public eye, in her line of work, it can be hugely significant. So I have a lot of sympathy for her.
2: Of course. And how common is this? You know, because I did read one study which reported an incidence of about 00 051%, five 0- percent which is tiny. But of course, if millions of people are having the procedure, there are going to be some cases. Does this number ring true for you? So it's difficult
0: to know the precise incidence because that's a, a level in a study that's been published. I don't necessarily have access to all practitioners data on it, but it, it does sound reasonably accurate. I think though, to put yourself in the, in the feet of the patient who suffers it, it's a hundred percent in that you don't partially suffer from it. You fully get it. And that's what people need to bear in mind that all procedures have potential risks. And however small the risk is, you also have to weigh up how you would feel or cope if that particular risk happened to you.
2: That is a really important consideration. So what other side effects can result from cryolipolysis?
0: With cryolipolysis or fat freezing procedures, there are other complications. Some patients do find the procedure quite uncomfortable. Some patients don't find it effective enough. It's usually carried out as a series of treatments. So you have a, a treatment followed potentially by a second or a third treatment and you wait for up to six months for the fat to metabolize to see the end and final results of it and sometimes patients find that it has not been effective enough or it's been more effective in one area than another.
2: Now cryolipolysis is only one of many non-surgical cosmetic treatments available. What are the most common that people get?
0: Probably the two most popular non-surgical treatments at the moment would be botulinum toxin, which is more commonly known as Botox. It's not always Botox. Um, Botulinum toxin can come under different brand names and dermal fillers, which are also injectable treatments used to plump up skin or augment or rejuvenate skin, particularly in the face. But there are lots of others such as skin peels, laser treatments and other skin tightening treatments as well.
2: Right. And how do these work, starting with, say, Botox?
0: The idea is that you paralyse or partially paralyse the muscle underneath skin where a wrinkle is because when you contract your muscle underneath the skin it causes a wrinkle in the skin above so the idea is that it weakens the muscle so the wrinkle no longer appears or appears less in the skin above wherever that wrinkle is. Dermal fillers are very commonly used in younger patients to achieve a fuller lip or a more sculpted cheek or jawline. The most commonly used ones are hyaluronic acid fillers, which are synthetic but based on a naturally occurring body substance.
2: Okay, so fillers are what they say on the tin. They're filling an area underneath the skin or perhaps the lips to give them more volume um, or to smooth out wrinkles. But both Botox injections and fillers are invasive treatments. So what can go wrong here, starting with Botox?
0: So Botox is used to reduce wrinkles, and that's the benefit of it. But the downside is that you can over-treat an area and end up with a frozen or too-treated look that doesn't move or look natural, particularly with facial expression. In terms of medical complications, any injectable treatment, anything that breaks the skin carries a potential risk of bruising or infection. It's not common in, in Botox to get an infection, and it's usually relatively easy to treat, but it can happen. The other problem is Botox is diluted into a liquid that's injected, and it's injected quite precisely. But if some of that liquid diffuses into an area that you don't want it to diffuse, for example, the eyelid or the eyebrow muscle, then it can affect the position of the eyebrow or the strength or ability to open and close your eye properly. That will wear off because Botox is temporary, but you have to wait for it to wear off.
2: And I'm sure that waiting process is really unpleasant for anyone. So what about fillers? What kind of issues might you see there?
0: So with fillers, if a filler that's been injected gets infected this is a bigger problem because botox is a very tiny amount of fluid whereas filler is a, a gel it might be a watery gel or a or a thicker gel but it's a gel that's been injected so if that gel gets infected it can form lumps It can form a persistent infection that's deeper in the tissues and more difficult to get rid of. And you can develop scar tissue around where the filler has been infected. So that's one problem that can happen. If the filler is injected unevenly or in the wrong place, it can also look odd or look uneven or lumpy. And probably the complication we want the least to happen in fillers is if the filler gets into a blood vessel and travels in that blood vessel and blocks it off. If that was the main blood vessel it can actually die away or form an area of tissue necrosis which is tissue death and if filler gets into blood vessels that travel back to the eyes because remember all the facial blood vessels can be interconnected even if you're not injecting right beside the eye blindness has been caused if certain blood vessels to the eye get blocked with filler
2: gosh so there are some really serious and i mean even potentially devastating risks from having these treatments. How likely is it that this would happen? How common are these side effects?
0: I do need to put things in perspective. The vast majority of people who have cryolipolysis or fat freezing or who have dermal filler treatments have them safely, have a good result that they're very happy with and don't suffer from these complications. And I I think that's the importance of having someone who is medically qualified doing your treatment or assessing you for your treatment because then you have someone who can treat you for the complications as well because some of these treatments are prescription-only treatment. Botox is a prescription-only treatment. So it should only be prescribed by a medical practitioner who has prescribing rights. And that could be a doctor or it could be a nurse who has done um, the relevant training to prescribe. And it must be given or should be given, certainly, under the oversight of a medical practitioner who has prescribed it, even if the treatment is delivered by another trained individual.
2: Right. So in the case of Botox, it has to be prescribed by a medical practitioner. But I had a look online and it seems like the same isn't true for cryolipolysis. There aren't any regulations about who can perform that procedure. So what about dermal fillers?
0: Dermal fillers, unfortunately, are not prescription uh, items at the moment. So they don't fall under the same regulatory provisos that Botox does. And dermal fillers, unfortunately, can be given by, legally by non-medical practitioners. And far, far more regulation is needed in this area.
2: If you don't have to be a medical practitioner to do dermal fillers, what kind of training do people get?
0: I think, unfortunately, people attend one day or two day workshops or some sort of online training with very, very basic underlying anatomy and physiology, followed by product training. And that really is not good enough. The non-medical practitioners would argue that that's what medical practitioners undergo as well. But I would say back, we undergo that on top of our medical training and are on top of our background experience in medical procedures and in looking after patients and our understanding of physiology and, an, and anatomy. And we certainly don't just spend a week or two in medical school studying anatomy and physiology. We spend far, far longer. And saying you've been on several of these courses doesn't really make it any better. It may elevate your knowledge compared to someone who has only done one of these courses, but it's totally misleading to say that the training is equivalent or as good.
2: Nora, it's quite shocking really that after just doing a short course you could be performing some of the procedures that we've been talking about particularly when some of the side effects you've described require medical treatment and it feels as if there's a real safety gap there what can patients do if things go wrong?
0: There is a gap you're absolutely right and and unfortunately the patient falls into that gap. And that's the most unfortunate thing about it. And patients who undergo cosmetic procedures get treated and judged very harshly by by others for anything that goes wrong. And either the patient only gets emergency treatment, but not necessarily full corrective treatment within the NHS. And the NHS cannot carry out cosmetic procedures for obvious reasons. Or that patient has to attend someone else privately and... Can end up with a significantly more expensive treatment than they anticipated, as well as having the trauma of the complication and potentially a not fully fixable problem, because treating a complication doesn't always get it back to the quality of tissue that was there prior to having a complication.
2: These are really things that you would want to avoid. So, if somebody does want to go ahead with a treatment, what questions should they be asking? To make sure that it is as safe as possible?
0: So, I guess my first advice is walk into someone medical rather than someone non medical. (laughs) Um, But my second piece of advice is consider what you want to do because sometimes there is more than one treatment available and a different option might be a better option for you. And then hear what that medical practitioner has to say about how they can treat whatever the area of concern is. Ask them for um, an overview of how the treatment works, how the treatment would be done, what the potential risks are and complications are, what the aftercare are. Is there likely to be any instructions that you need to follow at home? And you also need to know about pricing uh, and pricing not only for the treatment, but what happens if something goes wrong? What's covered? What isn't covered? Who would you call if something went wrong and the clinic was closed? How do you get hold of someone to let them know there's a problem? how long you expect the treatment to last and what kind of results the treatment is expected to give.
2: Nora, with any of the procedures that we've talked about today, there are risks and they can be minimised, as you pointed out. But the aesthetic treatment industry generally is growing and particularly so amongst young people who are getting fillers and so-called preventative Botox. Why do you think this is?
0: So I, I think it's multifactorial. Partly is an increased awareness of the treatments available, increased access to the treatments available. There are many more places offering cosmetic treatments now compared to before relative affordability of these treatments compared to surgical treatments. And I think also the social media and selfie phenomenon that has developed has contributed a lot to this rise in procedures in younger patients. It's partly increasing awareness. It's partly wanting to achieve certain looks that are Commonly shared on social media. And it's partly increased time spent looking at oneself. And I guess in the last year or so, lockdown has played a part. People have had more time at home and more time to contemplate undertaking these sort of treatments. And partly, we're all spending so much more time on video conferencing. So, numerous reasons, I think.
2: Nora, in researching this podcast, I've actually been really surprised at the lack of regulations and in fact this year an all-party parliamentary group on beauty aesthetics and well-being published a report looking at advanced aesthetic non-surgical cosmetic treatments like the ones we've been talking about today and one of their findings was that the UK's licensing and regulatory landscape hasn't kept pace with the changes in this industry, but whilst the government does catch up, and the Department of Health and Social Care said it would look closely at the report's recommendations, in lieu of these regulations that we very clearly need, what can be done to keep safe? I think the
0: I, I think two parallel things: one is greater regulation of the sector, and two is greater public and patient education and awareness of the key things to check. For example, who your practitioner is, that they are medically qualified, that they have a qualification in the area that you want treated. So no research is too much research. Unfortunately for the patient, it's about trying to distinguish the rubbish and marketing from the true quality information that's out there, because it's all intermingled. And my final point in that is, no cosmetic treatment is an emergency that has to be undertaken on the spot. So get the information and then walk away and think about it before going back and actually having the treatment.
2: We reached out to Alajan, owners of Sculpting and Botox, for comment. But as of recording, they had not responded. If you're interested in finding out more... We've put links on our podcast webpage to NHS websites that give guidance on whether cosmetic surgery is the right choice for you and help on choosing who should be doing your procedure. For cosmetic surgeries, we've also included links to the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, otherwise known as BAPS, and the British Association of Plastic Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeons, BAPRAS where you can check for qualified professionals and find additional information on both surgical and non-surgical cosmetic treatments. And of course, a big thanks to Nora. Her information is on there too. In other news, today is International Podcast Day and The Guardian has so many brilliant and award-winning podcasts to listen to, covering everything from current affairs to culture and sport, plus what celebrities really eat behind closed doors. Head to theguardian.com or search for The Guardian on your preferred podcast app. And that's it from us. Next week we'll be starting our special COP26 coverage in Countdown to the Big Meat. See you then.
0: This is The Guardian.